Our text this morning is from 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 9. 1 John 5, verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has borne concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. The testimony, God's testimony in Jesus is in us, and it allows us to live eternally right now. God's testimony. John writes that this testimony of God is greater than that of men. We hear so much testimony of humanity. It becomes a a difficult noise that's hard to hear through. With news media droning on 24-7, social media influences peppered with opinions of of celebrities and, and the voices of those that we surround ourselves with, we get a constant chaotic din of noise becomes now a task that we have to discern, is this real or is this fake news? The testimony of men. And yet there are some voices of humanity that that ring true, that that coordinate with Scripture, that, that are in line with God's Word. Those are the voices we need to hear in our lives. In the midst of this, in the midst of all these different ideas, John writes this letter to help with two issues. People who are in a faith drift and people who are in faith desertion. Faith drift happens when you start to slowly kind of peel away from the solid truth and core of the gospel. This sounds like it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe it. That you can be a Christian but just not take it all that seriously. Or that being a Christian is about being good and and morally right and conservative. Or just choosing what parts of scripture you prefer and ignoring those that are offensive to you. I was in a, a car with a, with a friend this past week. It was a relatively new car. And uh, he had a tendency of kind of swerving over and getting out of the lane. But his car would, would remind him, and, and, and annoyingly so, it would say, hey, it would flash this light, this warning signal that you are changing lanes. And then the wheel would actually kind of move him back into the lane. Wouldn't it be interesting and good if maybe our faith had the same thing? That whenever our minds started thinking of something that was just off a little bit, that we'd have a warning that would kind of reorient us back to where we're supposed to be. Well, in fact, we do have that. That's the whole purpose of John's letter. First John is all about getting back in the middle of our lane. And then there's faith desertion. To stay away from Christianity because part of the Bible's teaching is offensive to you assumes that if there is a God, then he wouldn't do anything that was offensive to you. Or to say, I can't believe in a God that would allow this and this and this and this to happen. So John is writing to these two groups of people. 
And he says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is a testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Literally, this verse means, if we accept the testimony of men, then we should accept the testimony of God. If we accept the testimony of some men that we, that we trust in, in humanity, the voices of humanity that, that make sense, that ring true, that are in accordance with Scripture, if we are to believe them, then the voice of God, we should believe so much more, exponentially more, to cling to those truths centered in the gospel. The testimony of God we heard last week was the testimony of water, blood, and the spirit. Through the, through the water... At the baptism of Jesus, the Father speaks audibly, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. The testimony of the blood occurred on the cross when you hear the words come out of Jesus' mouth, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And the testimony of the Spirit, though it's been present from the very beginning, it just burst forth onto the scene and unleashed at Pentecost. The eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were transformed from cowering followers to towering leaders. And the presence of God is made known in our lives with those three testimonies of the water, of the blood, of the Spirit. Through the waters of our own baptisms, the testimony of the water, through the power of the Holy Spirit, enables us to share in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The testimony of the blood, we get the opportunity to celebrate in just a few moments today to receive the very real presence of our Savior's body and blood for the purpose of forgiveness, restoration, and renewal. And the Holy Spirit is in work in all of this. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever somebody would testify against somebody else, it was necessary to have three witnesses for that testimony to be valid. And in, and in keeping with that same line of accord, God makes this testimony of three, the water, the spirit, and the blood, and becomes legal and binding. So we receive this testimony from men. We receive it all the time. And to our ears, some of it sounds good and some of it is just plain off. But for us to hear the testimony of God, that, that reliable and credible voice, that when he speaks, we know his voice. He is our good shepherd and we know our shepherd's voice. We know that his words are good and true. That his word promises to work in our lives whenever we hear it or read it. That we do not have a blind faith. But it's based on extraordinary and reliable evidence, the testimony of God, someone who cannot lie. So what then is God's testimony? What is it that he professes? Well, John gives us the answer. And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Through the water and the blood, by the Spirit, we receive eternal life. Now, this eternal life is not something that we just look forward to someday. Eternal life begins the moment we believe. For me, my eternal life began in the waters of my baptism when I was just a couple of weeks old. And Jesus' resurrection blood is pumping through my veins. But, but here's the catch. If I'm an eternal being right now, then why does a lot of life look like I'm dying? 
I think we tend to put perhaps too much focus on this life and not enough focus on our eternalness. This causes us then, when life is difficult, to, to put more and more and more energy into improving the conditions of this life rather than clinging to the promises of eternity, rather than sharing the gospel. Um, an interesting writer, Tim Keller, he speaks about this eternal life in, in terms of, of two different kinds of words and two different ways of considering and thinking about eternal life. And the first way is a way that I've kind of grown up imagining eternity to be. And that's a view of eternity as a consolation. To think about all of your, your physical, emotional, mental, your hungers, your thirsts, and sometimes those can be just totally overwhelming. When bone is grinding on bone, your gas tank is on fumes, your mind is racing, and your heart is pounding. To think of eternal life as consolation is like a, in the midst of those sufferings, just hang in there. Because Jesus knows what it's like to suffer just like you do. And it'll get better, right? It'll get so much better in eternity. We can handle all the junk from today because someday life will be better. That's how I've kind of considered eternal life for most of my life until just recently. Keller writes that because of the resurrection, we not only get to see heaven as a consolation prize, but as a resurrection, it is an undoing of all the brokenness. All the evil things we've ever said, all the evil things we've ever endured will be undone, will be reversed, will be restored and renewed and made right again. Think of it this way. If you're walking around in central Florida in the heat with a mask, and you're sweating, and it's gross. Everyone in this room knows that feeling. And that moment where you just get to take it off, and you go, oh. you know that feeling, right? Am I the only one? I can't see you, so I'm going to assume I'm not the only one. It's undone. Right? The, the mistakes that you've made, they will be undone. They will be reversed. They will make right. And the joy that comes with that, the relief that comes with that, the peace that comes with that will be greater than anything we've ever experienced before. That's a resurrection view of eternal life, is what's dead is made alive. Death is undone. So here's what eternal life looks like. We become more and more unoffendable. We have less and less anger. We let go of fears. We live every moment as if we are a part of eternity right now and nothing that we struggle through can impact us as deeply as it does without that view. For the parents in the room today, kids are the most important thing in our lives, right? And we want them to be successful. We want them to enjoy life. We want them to be happy. We want them to be successful in whatever that means for you. And sometimes, perhaps, we put too much emphasis in that and not enough emphasis in their eternalness, in their faith, in their walk with God, in their relationship with him. You know, it's our primary job as parents to teach them in words and even more in our actions about the great love of the Father. 
about the enormous sacrifice of the Son and the unstoppable power of the Holy Spirit. Now, through our tragedies, through our difficulties and our hardships, because of who we are in God, we can navigate those struggles better, knowing that each one of those struggles will ultimately be reversed and undone and restored. Our eternity. John writes this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John wanted his readers and now us, his hearers, to be more aware of what is already theirs in Christ. This is not just lip service or going through the religious movements or motions, but being transformed by our inner be- in our inner beings, having confidence in our salvation, not because of what we've done or, or how we're improving or growing, but because of Christ. God's testimony of Jesus in us allows us to live eternally now. Living eternally looks like this. Let's move this now from theory into practice. How is this made practical? I believe in how we handle adversity and struggles and challenges. If you're not in the middle of one right now, think about this the next time it comes. I want you to be ready for this challenge with with three things. Number one, believe. This is kind of a summary of all of John's letter. Believe in Jesus Christ. This enables you to keep this eternal focus, to know that this is not all there is, that this is just a, a drop in the bucket of our life with God. To remember that you are forgiven, that your eternity is set, that you are eternal right now, and that one day this struggle that you are in the midst of will be reversed and undone and restored in the resurrected life. And sit in that joy today, knowing that even as you are hurting, there is joy to be had. Believe. Number two, follow. Keep God's commands. This is the Jesus adventure where we are called, equipped, sent, and restored. And then this equipping, we learn his laws, we follow his laws, not as a restriction on our lives, but living the abundant life that we were made for. That this is the Jesus adventure, learning how to filter absolutely everything that we see and do and encounter through the lens of being called, equipped, sent, and restored. That everything is filtered through the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promised return of Jesus Christ. And then respond from that perspective. Now that could look like anything, maybe a a conversation that you're having with somebody else that you just disagree with vehemently. Now living eternally means that instead of saying something that would be a sharp stick in the eye to what they're saying, you speak to them out of love and curiosity and concern. Follow. And then do. In terms of John's letter, that means loving God and loving one another. Think about that difficult person in your life. I challenge you to view them as somebody that God loves just as much as he loves you. Even your enemies, God loves them just as much as he loves you. The same, fully. And interact with them from that perspective. God's testimony of Jesus is in us, and it allows us to live eternally today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your son whose 
whose life and death and resurrection is in us now. Allow us to to see from a perspective of eternity, to know that eternal life is far more than just a consolation to soothe us and ease us after a life of difficulty. It is an undoing of all that is wrong and broken in this world. Fill us with that joy this day. Father, we pray this all in Jesus' powerful and holy name. Amen.